Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and I'm so glad to be with you today explaining and exploring the Word of God together. Well, we come to chapter 3, and today we're going to look at verses 1 through 6 in this sermon called Consider Jesus. I'm going to explain what this all-important word, consider, means. I'm going to show you what the author meant by holy brethren and a heavenly calling. Friends, there's such rich meaning in each of this. We're going to see how Christ is the apostle and the high priest. Oh, I love these scriptures, and we're going to have a wonderful time rightly handling the word of truth today. Did you know that every week I send out an encouraging devotion through email? And I would love for you to join my subscribers list. Right now, approximately 50,000 people receive my weekly encouragement emails, and I would love for you to join our growing community. Simply go to my website, awakenedtograce.com, and when you go there, you could submit your email. It's all free and you will hear from me every week you will get an encouraging message weekly join us today well let's go to hebrews chapter 3 as we preach this great sermon consider jesus hebrews chapter 3 I want us to begin in verse number one. <clears throat> we come to a brand new section of Hebrews. This is our 15th session in the book. Can you believe that? We've already invested 15 weeks in this study. And I don't know about you, but it's just been one of the richest studies I've ever had the privilege of walking through in the Bible. And I hope it's impacting you greatly and in a deep way. Verse number one, I'm going to have quite a few things to share with you today. So if you can't write it all down, just go back and listen later in the week. But there's several things I want to share with you. The first thing I want you to notice are two very important words in verse one alone. And I would love for you to circle these two words. I would love for you to cause it to stand out to you, to cause it to jump out. Because this is going to be the theme of today. The writer of Hebrews says, consider Jesus. Now that's a word for our culture today. It was a word for their culture. It was a word for these Hebrews who were born again, who were believers, who were Christians that were drifting back into Judaism. But let me tell you, it's also a great word for this generation of the church today. Consider Jesus. What's that mean? If you're going to take notes, I want you to note a couple of things about this. Number one, there are 14 different Greek words in the New Testament for the word consider. This word, consider, especially is where Jesus said, consider the lilies. They neither toil nor spin. Consider how God cares for the birds. How much more will he care for us? 
It means to evaluate. It means to examine carefully. It means to think thoroughly. I love this word. This particular Greek word is used 11 times in the New Testament. And I love this portion where it's reserved for think thoroughly about Jesus. Examine carefully Jesus Christ. Now, what's the author saying? Remember, we began our study in chapter one that Christ was better than the prophets, meaning he's better than any mere mortal, better than any human, better than any preacher, better than any pastor, better than any apostle, better than any priest, better than any mere mortal man. And then he escalates it by saying Christ is better than the angels. He's far superior than the angels. The people who had been raised in Judaism, they had to have gasped and said, oh my goodness. And remember what we've said for weeks. How could Christ be better if he's made lower than the angels by being human? How can he be better if he died a physical death? Well, we explained all of that in chapter 2. Now the author is going to continue to compare Jesus to everything precious in Judaism, everything precious to these Old Testament people coming out of the Old Testament into the New Testament, into the better covenant. And now he progresses. The Holy Spirit progresses the argument by saying that Christ is better than Moses himself. Consider, think thoroughly, examine Carefully, Jesus Christ. What a word to our culture. May I propose this to you? Those of you who will think thoroughly about Jesus. Those of you who will be willing to put Jesus at the forefront of your minds, at the forefront of your priorities, at the forefront of your week, at the forefront of each of your days. I want to propose this to you. Those who learn to think deeply. Do you know what you ultimately do? You learn how to worship meaningfully. The two go hand in hand. When you think deeply, you'll worship meaningfully. That's what it means to consider Jesus. Do you consider him in your life? Do you consider him in every decision that you make? I heard a pastor say last week, and it has transformed my week for, for the last week or so. He said, prayer is not informing God about what's going on in your life. So often we do that. God, I need this. God, help me here. I need this from you. God, if you'll provide this, God, you. And all we do is just tell God. We inform him. What's go- well, God knows what's going on, right? Do you know what prayer is? Prayer is inviting God to come be part of my life. I don't need to just tell God everything going on. He knows everything going on. I don't need to inform him. I need to invite him in. And when I consider Jesus, what am I doing? I am welcoming him into my daily life. I'm welcoming him into my daily rhythms, into my daily routine. And then 
God is not just this compartment in my life that's maybe an hour and a half on Sunday mornings. No, he then becomes my life daily in my rhythm, in my processes, in the way I think and in the way that I feel. Christ is involved. Christ is invited. Is he invited into your life? Is he invited into your family? What a great question. Consider Jesus. Well, who ought to consider Jesus? Let's dig into this today. First, he says, therefore. Now, it is my opinion, and many people disagree, and you're most welcome to disagree. It is my opinion that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. There's a number of reasons for that. I do ask that you would pray for me right now. I'm not feeling very well this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I just bring myself under your anointing right now, Lord Jesus. Give me clarity of mind. I receive from you right now, Lord Jesus. I receive strength. I receive healing. I receive clarity. I receive from you right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I rebuke any hindrance. We'll not have it in Jesus' name. We'll not have it. We rebuke it in the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's my conviction that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. One, because he mentions Timothy at the end of the chapter. One, because... There is actually a thumbprint of Paul in his writings that only if you're a student of the Bible will you really be aware of this. If you remember Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians was written because someone had forged a letter by Paul. And Paul even told the Corinthians, I write with my own hand. Perhaps it was the Galatians. I'm sorry, maybe the Galatians he told But Paul had a thumbprint. He had a code, if you would, in all of his letters. He ended it, each of them, with grace be upon you, grace with you, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, guess how Hebrews ends? With grace. I believe that's Paul's thumbprint on the letter. Another reason I believe Paul wrote it is because he mentions Christ as an apostle in this chapter. You hear that thunder? Ooh, I like that. I sleep with thunderstorms. Uh, you use sleeping. You see any sleeping sound machine device? I like thunderstorms. Oh, that makes me sleepy automatically because that's what I do each night. <laughs> Paul talks about Christ as an apostle, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. But another reason I believe that Paul wrote the letter is because of how many times he uses the transition word, therefore. It's his favorite transition word. And why does Paul use so many transition therefores in the book of Hebrews? Never forget this. Because when you see the word therefore, the Holy Spirit wants you to look back at what has been argued and then look ahead to what is being taught. That's why it's a hinge. It's a transition. 
So when you see the word therefore, and you'll see it all throughout the book of Hebrews, it means something major was just said and something major is getting ready to be said. Another reason I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews is because Paul had a very clear, distinctive style. He wrote doctrine, then he wrote application. Doctrine, application. Doctrine, application. And that's the rhythm of the book of Hebrews. So there are many more reasons. I won't get into them now. There'll be plenty of time throughout our study. But as we come to the idea of Christ as an apostle today, that's a big reason why I feel Paul did not sign this letter, and we'll, we'll explain that. So who is he speaking to? You may want to write this down. Hebrews is often called the riddle of the New Testament. It's very complicated. It is mysterious in many parts. And as we go through this, I want us to understand how to simplify the book. And this is the key to understanding all of the book of Hebrews. You have to understand the audience. You have to understand who Paul is writing to. And who is it that he's writing to? Christians. For note what he says. Therefore, holy brothers. Note that. Therefore, holy brothers. 24 times the author of Hebrews is going to include himself in the category of Christians. He's going to say we, and he's writing to believers. I also want you to note the heavenly calling. Why is it called a heavenly calling? It's because that's where salvation sources from. It's because our names are written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. It's because that's where our citizenship is found. And it's because that is our destination. Amen. Therefore, it is a heavenly calling. I have much more that I would like to say in regards to this, but let me just highlight a few things, if I may. I'd like you to link Ephesians 4 verse 1 to that heavenly calling. For Paul says, we must walk in a manner that is worthy of our calling. What is a heavenly calling? It's the effectual calling of Christians. What is that? Well, as a pastor, I can give an outward call that only goes to the ears. But see, only the Holy Spirit can give the inward call that goes to the heart. Does that make sense? See, the Bible says that as Christians, we know his voice. Sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd. And so when you came to Christ, when you became born again, what happened? You recognized the voice of the shepherd. That's the effectual call. That's your heavenly call. That was you being born again. That was you walking out of darkness into God's marvelous light. That was the Holy Spirit doing the work of grace in your life where he transformed your heart. He took out that hardened heart, that stony heart of sin, and he put in a soft heart toward the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the effectual call. That's what no man can do on his own. That's what no preacher can accomplish on his own. That is only the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's called the heavenly calling. And I want you to know it says we share in it. What's that mean? 
partake. We partake in this divine call. What's that mean? It means we have common. We have something in common together. We have unity together. That's going to come into play in verse 6 in a moment. So what does he say? He says, therefore, holy brothers. So we know he's talking to Christians. Understand the entire book is written to Christians. It's not written to people who are half saved. You know, you're not half saved. You're either saved or you're lost, right? You can't be somewhat pregnant. You either are or you're not. You can't be halfway saved. You either are or you're not. You're either a sheep or you're a goat. Right? According to the scriptures. It's written to Christians. And when you get that straight, then everything else that seems like a riddle will begin to straighten out from there in the book. It is the key to understanding the entire 13 chapters of the book. Holy brothers who share, partake, to have in common, 1 Peter 1.3, we share in God's divine nature, hallelujah, a heavenly calling, the effectual call of the Holy Spirit. That's why many of you went so long throughout your life hearing the gospel and it made no effect. But one day you heard the gospel and the Lord opened your heart. That's the effectual call of God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Hmm. Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest. If you're going to note this, the office of Jesus is seen in John 13, verse 3. It says that Jesus came from God to go to God. What's that mean? Remember last week, we talked about Christ being the faithful, I'm sorry, the merciful and the faithful high priest. And what did we say? As merciful, that is manward, but as faithful, that is Godward. What does that mean? Christ is the mediator of this new covenant. And what the author of Hebrews is going to show us is that Christ as the mediator, he is the apostle and he's the high priest. In other words, as apostle, he represents God to humanity and as high priest, he represents humanity to God. For what is an apostle? The term apostle means one sent out from God. One sent from God. And you know what the Apostle Paul says? I believe what he's saying. I believe the Apostle Paul does not sign this letter as he did his others. Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ by the will of God. Why? Because he reserves that title for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not that Christ was a apostle, one sent from God. No, he is the apostle. He is the chief apostle. And what does that mean? That means that he can perfectly represent God to us. Why? Because chapter one, verse three, he is the radiance of the glory of God. Why? Because he is the exact imprint of God's nature. Amen. He represents God to humanity. 
He is the apostle. He is the great high priest. What's that mean? That means he represents humanity before God. We'll see later in the book. He ever lives to make intercession for you and I. Hallelujah. He is the apostle. He is the great high priest. And then notice what it says. Of our confession. I love that word. You know, as Christians, we are to confess three things. Confess means to agree with. It means to say something in common. Confession means to be in agreement. Unfortunately, for many of us, because just of the culture, we think of confession with Catholics. We think of going and seeing a priest and sitting in that little half wall and making a, a, a confessional booth, right? No. We are to confess three things as believers. Number one, we are to confess our sins. We are to confess them to God, and in some cases, we're to confess to one another. Confession is good. And you know what it means when you confess your sins? 1 John 1, 9, if we, what? Confess our sins, that means to be in agreement with God, then he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you know what real confession to God is? It's when you come into agreement that, God, I'm a sinner, and, Lord, I have failed, and I can't do this without you. That's real confession. Confession is, God, you see everything, and you know I blew it. Confession is, God, I, I, I know I'm not perfect. You know I'm not perfect, and here's my specific sin, and I agree with you that I'm wrong. God, here's the pride in my life. God, here's arrogance in my life. Here's haughtiness in my life. Here is all of these things that I wrestle with and that I'm very human. You know I'm frail, but God, I don't hide it from you. I don't pretend it doesn't exist. I bring it before you and I confess it. I agree with you in Jesus' name. Now may you forgive me. Brothers, sisters, that's confession. But you know what we do? We get it from our father and mother, Adam and Eve. We hide from God. You're not hiding anything from the Lord. Amen? That's why you're free to confess it. Number two, we ought to confess the promises of God. You know, I remember being young in my faith, and I would do my best to confess the sins that I was aware of. Oh, what a great day it was when I learned I ought to be confessing the promises of God. What does confess mean? Agree with. Do you know how powerful a thing it is when you bring yourself into agreement with the promises of God? I want you to write this down. God does not say yes to every one of our prayers. But he does say yes to every one of his promises. And you know what's changing in my life? I'm depending less on the prayers of Chad Roberts and I'm depending more on the promises of God. I'm letting the promises of God replace my wish list prayers because every promise is yes and amen through Jesus. Can we say amen today? Amen. I'm confessing those promises. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Confessing. 
Number three, we ought to be confessing our faith. We ought to be confessing and holding fast to our faith. What, what do you mean our faith? The doctrine. What's doctrine? Doctrine's teaching. Have you visited my online store where you can find books, music, sermon series, and so much more? I hope you'll go there today, awakentograce.com slash store, and keep checking back because our resources that are designed for spiritual growth are always growing. Awakentograce.com slash store.